Welcome back to the Demon Land Podcast. My name is Andy and the Demon Juggernaut is chugging along just nicely. We've racked up our 16th win on the trot and broken a long-standing 22-year record when we notched up our highest ever victory over the West Coast Eagles. Who could have ever envisioned a time where a trip to Perth would be a cakewalk and fans would be disappointed that we didn't win by 100 points? We are truly living in the strangest of times. Joining me tonight, long-time Demonland contributor George. Good evening, George. Good evening, Andy. Good evening, Binman. Good evening, listeners. Um, I'm really looking forward to uh, tonight's talking about the Demons uh, because I was in ISO this week and I was forced to watch two North Melbourne games. So um, I much prefer to talk about the Demons than them. Uh, yeah, that's uh, Torge. I don't know what's worse, the COVID or the... Uh or the North Melbourne watching. Uh, oh, definitely North. <laughs> also joining us tonight, uh, one-time caller to the show, now a valuable contributor, uh, Bimman. Good evening, Bimman. Good, uh, good evening, Andy. Good evening, George. And, uh, yeah, I've got the health and safety protocols going on um, here. And I actually went to see uh, Casey play at Arden Street, which brought back memories of going there as a, a young fella. Um, but I deliberately got COVID this week, so there was no chance that I was going to miss the Frio Melbourne game. I, I wanted to make sure that I didn't miss that game. Can't wait. It's a it's a good good week to get it playing an interstate team. So D supporters, you got to uh, sort of that you know when you book your holidays, you got to book it for for a block when you're away when you're playing away or when you get COVID. Same thing. Uh, if anyone would like to call into the show tonight to discuss any of the topics we're talking about, give us a call 039016366 or Skype us Demonland31. If you call in, I'll pick up I'll pick up the line on mute, so just wait till we're ready, we'll bring you on. And like last week, we had a caller on. If you call while another caller's on the line, just be patient. We'll, we'll uh, answer your call when they're, they're done. Um, with that out of the way, let's jump uh, into the wrap-up of the game. People familiar with this show will know that I have this habit of almost looking for ways we, we can lose. Um, and for all my anxieties and doom and gloom when it comes to supporting the Demons over 45 years, I, I ne- never really thought there was any possibility that we could lose this match. I, I wasn't even tempted to take up the consolation bet and take the Eagles at 17 or $21 that they were paying for the win. Um, so I guess that's progress on my part. Uh, and the Eagles certainly didn't make the task any easier on themselves at the selection table with the omission of a few of their 2018 Premiership players and then Josh Kennedy before the match. Uh, all out with uh, soreness, um, and I'm not accusing them of tanking, but Blind Freddy just uh, might be. When the Eagles kicked the first goal of the match, uh, a fuse was lit under the Demons, who then piled on the next six unanswered goals. At that point, the game was effectively over. 
Biman has spoken about this in previous shows where teams have gone into matches against us in preservation mode in order to avoid a massacre and subsequently any damage to their percentage. And the Eagles were, were sort of no different in this regard. From the second quarter through to the third, they were able to stifle our ability to score by employing a hold-on-to-the-ball-at-all-cost trick, as George, you put it in your write-up of the match this week. But this strategy, however... Uh, was to their detriment uh, as they weren't able to penetrate our defences either. The final quarter saw the Demons' class rise to the top as they put their foot firmly down on the pedal, leaving the Eagles in their dust. A 44.3 quarter time lead was extended to 74 points at full time and this was the same margin that we beat another team from the West at this very same venue 232 days before. Incidentally, our average winning margin at Optus Stadium over the, our past three outings there is now 77 points. We've truly won the West, guys, uh, at least for now. We play the Dockers there later in the season, so uh, stay tuned for that. We had an even spread of contributors throughout the match. Our forwards all bobbed up to make their cameos with uh, 12 goals spread amongst T-Mac with four, Cozzy and Fritch with three apiece, and Brown two. Uh, likewise, our mids put in solid performances with Petraka, Oliver and Viney racking up uh, possessions in the high 20s. And once again, our miserly defence did what they did best, and that is restricting teams from putting on scoreboard pressure. A hallmark of this defensive unit is they're able to keep teams below 60 or 70 points, and we've kept the Eagles to a measly 38 points. So that was mission well and truly accomplished. Uh, Not much more to say. We're in a great position. We have a very healthy list. We have Salem returning in the next few weeks. We're undefeated, a game clear on top of the ladder. We're two games clear of fourth. Three games clear of fifth and we've got a healthy percentage to boot. We have the opportunity in the next few weeks to put more of a gap between us and our competition. Now, before we move on to tactical talk, is there any other general comments you guys want to make? I'll start with you, George, and then B-Man, you can jump in with your two cents. Not much more to add to that, Andy. I think it was good that um, we got a slight percentage booster because I think most Melbourne supporters would have realised if we actually lost this game or lost a game, uh, we would have dropped almost two positions on the ladder um, <clears throat> because of Brisbane and Fremantle's percentages. Uh, but Fremantle lost a game as well, so that's alleviated a bit of that problem. <clears throat> but it's uh, just nice when, you, when you're getting to that point where the, you might be t- fighting for a top two position to have that little bit of extra up your sleeve, apart from the one game in the bank that we've got. Um, but yeah, it was a pretty even even game all round by the side. Uh, I thought they did uh, just enough to um, get themselves over the line, and 74 points is more than just enough by anyone's measure. Um, but uh, I think the other thing that uh, you just um, mentioned in in your opening there was uh, the Eagles were premiers in 2018. It's only three years ago, just over three years ago, and. Um, the, the cliff comes very, very quickly for some clubs, so we better enjoy it while we've got the opportunity. Um, but it, the, the coach keeps talking about how hard the competition is, and I think we need to take that on board all the time. But um, enjoy it while we're, while we're winning and while we're doing well, um, but we've got to keep our eyes on the ball for the long term. Um, and respect the opposition under all circumstances. Yeah, we, we can't take it for granted. I mean, it, it can, things can change and turn around. Uh, injuries... Uh, you got to make the most of it while you're there, big man. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed the game, actually. And um, uh, I, I thought um, the um, Eagles' pressure was really terrific. I, I thought they approached the game well. They obviously, you know, there's an argument to say they didn't pick their best side. Who knows why they would have, because they were never going to bridge the gap. But I thought it was a really 
entertaining game. And there were so many positives from a Melbourne perspective, not least of which just the attitude we brought to it. Um, the, I, I'd normally really like Jordan Lewis's commentary or his comments. Actually, he doesn't do much special comments. And he was actually getting my nerves a little bit in this match because in that second and third period, he was sort of criticising Melbourne, the implication being, why don't we be more aggressive and go through the... Um, uh, you know, the corridor and we're eased off and, you know, that um, we'd taken the foot off the throat a little bit was his implication. And it just struck me as like so not Melbourne. I mean, it's so, it doesn't matter who we play against. We look to establish a lead. We look to hold them. Um, it wasn't as if we'd gone to sleep. I thought the Eagles were were really good pressure right through that game. Um, and they fell at a heap in the last quarter because they ran out of gas. They had players who aren't, elite uh, fitness, their decisions about who to rest, you know, they've, they've not clearly not AFL elite standard. That was the biggest factor in the margin in the end. They couldn't go with us. Um, so, I, yeah, I thought it was a strange sort of perspective from Lewis <coughs> because, <coughs> excuse me, that's how we play. I mean, that's how we go about our business. Um, I really enjoyed it, um, the, the whole game, and, um, you know, I thought there was a really interesting goal. Our very first goal it just sort of highlighted to me, and I'll talk to this uh, in the tactics when we talk about systems, but it just highlighted to me how well-attuned this team is. If you look at the very first goal and see the the vision of it, um, it's the one where there's a short kick that doesn't make its distance for 15 metres. Um, uh, T-Mac, credit to him, he puts pressure on, forces a turnover. And if you watch it, it's a bit hard to t- see because a bit frustratingly the... Um, footage of that game was super close all the time. There was hardly any sort of wide vision. Um, But you can just see in the corner of the screen, as soon as that ball goes into dispute, um, and I think it's Cozzy came in, I can't remember who came in and cleaned it up, it ended up with Nibbler. Um, T-Mac bolted straight towards the goal. It was still in dispute at that point, and he just took off towards the goal. Uh, And for me, that was a really telling thing because it was like obviously a team rule, but that team rule was based on a complete belief we were going to win that contested ball. And one of the players in that contested um, ball situation was McGovern, um, who's probably about the strongest player in the AFL and would back most times to, you know, at least split a contest and throw a ball up. If they'd won that ball, we were out of position because T-Mac had left the area, but he was that confident we were going to get it. Um, and then we did get it. And Nibbler, who is just, he's gone up leaps and bounds in his decision-making and finishing, uh, hit him with a perfect pass. And so he got the reward, T-Mac, for the pressure that he put on that forced the turnover. And he also got the reward for the faith in his teammate where we win, would win that contested ball. And he took off like a hair towards, well, T-Mac's version of a hair towards the goal, got into space and and then finished the job. I thought it was a super impressive um, goal and just a sign of that we were switched on. And in the one of the things that was a bit frustrating in that first quarter, you could see the West Coast were, were trying to get into the corridor. And because the footage um, is so down on an angle and the, and the other factor is Jordan Lewis and um, Kelly Underwood are commentating from Melbourne. So they're only looking yeah. at the same vision that we are. Uh, and Pavlidge made the point that, you know, they were desperately trying to get into the corridor whilst Kelly Underwood and Lewis were criticising them for not doing that, basically saying that they, their only chance of scoring against us was attacked through the corridor. And Pavlidge made the point, who was at the ground, is that we'd completely covered the corridor. 
So what do they do? They take a risk and turn it over. They've already given up goals um, in that quarter through turnovers. You know, it just shows how switched on we were, that we ensured that we completely covered it. I thought actually we took a little while to get going. We were a bit off early days, um, early doors, I should say. Um, And the other thing that I just as a thought too is the ground seemed to be in shit condition. There was lots of slips, lots of fumbles. Um, You know, I was was worried that someone was going to hurt himself or... Um, but yeah, I, I, as a general thing, I really enjoyed the game, um, and um, you know, enjoyed our performance. And, and as I say, credit to West Coast, they, you know, they never threw in the towel, and they, um, you know, they gave a good effort. All of which meant to me, I thought seventy-four points was a pretty accurate um, margin. The line in that game was about sixty-two points, so we covered that. But it just tells me that. We're a 12-goal better team than a team that, if you remember last year, you know, we were well up when the Lightning came in. That was round 19, wasn't it? Round yeah. 20. Um, and we only beat them by 11 points or something. You know, Nine points, I think, and uh, we were 36 or something. Yeah, so it sort of goes to George's point, really, how quickly it can turn around. I mean, they were in finals contention. If they had to win that game uh, and they were still in the hunt for finals last year, not even, like, it's six months later uh, and we're winning um, by 70-odd points. Um, You know, that's the golf now between our two footy teams. And um, I was thrilled that we won by the margin we did just for no other reason that I didn't have to read on demon land that, you know, we should have won by a thousand points or, you know, that 40 points, a good team wouldn't beat them by 40 points. So, um, I also wanted to comment on the Eagles crowd. We know that their supporters are perhaps the most entitled in the AFL. They certainly uh, boo the most uh, of any opposition that we've ever witnessed. And based on comments I read on social media, I was staggered to learn that they had thought that they were hard done by the umpires despite winning the free kick count by seven. I thought the umpiring was terrible, and that included them stuffing up the non-50 that probably should have gone against track and then not awarding the 50 for clear descent against McGovern not 10 seconds later. Um, Add to that, we simply uh, were not awarded for a lot of our tackles, uh, yet every tackle they seemed to lay was deemed holding the ball or dropping the ball. And, you know, the Eagles fans felt that that were hard done by, so um, poor them. Yeah, the umpires, even when we're doing all right with the umpires, Andy, it still is a bugbear. They've been the good. They've been the good the last few weeks because we've won yeah. the free, free yeah, kick out. But kick. I've quickly realised that uh, winning the free kick out doesn't correlate to actually winning a game of football. Uh, yeah, well, back in the day, it they used to, but uh, or, you know that was a proxy. So, just one stat that jumped out from me uh, in this game was Frida's kicked multiple goals now six times this season. Um, but the thing that it was really interested is recorded, and I'm not quite sure how this is defined, but it recorded a scoreboard impact of 18.1 per 18.1 points per game since the start of last season, which is number one at the D's. Um, which is impressive, isn't it? It just goes to show how important he is. And he's an he's a if it's possible, he's a player who could fly under the radar despite the fact he kicked the most goals in the AFL last season. And not just that, he, even in games, he can fly under the radar. He can not do anything for three quarters and bob up in the last and all of a sudden he's got three goals. Yeah, takes his chances. A- and he? I'll take that any time. Like, uh, I'm yeah. happy. Look, obviously, you want him to be contributing all game, but if he's going to bob up and kick three, um, happy with that. Uh, let's go into tactics. Uh, tonight's tactic talk. Uh, B-Man, you wanted to discuss systems for tactics. So take it away. Uh, just before I do, George, you wanted to add something? Just oh, then. sorry, George. Oh. Yeah. I just just thought it was amazing that um, 
there were only 27,000 people at that game, given that there's a waiting list to even get a seat in that stadium for the West Coast Eagles. You know, so <laughs> not, not only have the club fallen off the, off, the, off the cliff, but their supporters have put, fallen off in a big way, something similar to what we always um, claimed about Hawthorne, which has also proven to be the case. They need, a, they need 25 years of being down the bottom to get hardened to, to coming right. along en masse to games they're going to get flogged. So, um, the, the, I heard just a similar thing, not quite uh, to that, George, was that there's a waiting list for sponsors at that footy club. That's correct. <laughs> it's just crazy, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah, Andy, tactics. So the um, systems... Uh, 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 it was actually this game that sort of threw it up for me in terms of that first quarter. Um, the gulf between the two teams, there's obviously talent, but given the fact that West Coast, I thought, came out and did all of the things that 20 years ago that you would want to see in a, a bottom team playing one of the top teams, um, you know, and 20 years ago, if the top team was off with their intensity or, or not quite on, you know, maybe you could get a turn, you could get that that victory from a bottom team. And Melbourne did a few of them where we won against, uh, you know, completely against all odds where we just won through sheer grit and determination. Um, And I was just reflecting, watching the game, that that, that, that's changed now. That that, That's sort of um, in the dustbin of history, so to speak, because really the, the gap between the two teams the most stark thing for me was how effective our systems were. Um, and in that first quarter, you watch how many of the goals look familiar. So often we had players ahead of the ball. And so it wasn't, we talked about this, I forget which goal it was a couple of weeks back, but where where I think you said, Andy, it could have, you know, someone got a goal, but there were two or three other people. I think it was the Sparrow goal when he hit it back um, into the goal square. There were two or other people ahead of the ball who could have got it. We had, there were multiple goals like that um, on the weekend. There were examples like the one I gave of um, T-Mac getting forward. Um, there was heaps of examples of, of that where they had no answer for our system. So sure, go to the corridor, but get turned over, go around us. Um, and keeping in mind they're a system-based footy them team themselves with their their marking but um you know they're a bit of struggle town because they haven't got the quality of players that can do that system let alone a system now that's antiquated and um out of favor Uh, and it got me thinking about systems in generally uh, um and i i really think there's been an evolution in a pretty short period of time in afl footy um and it really sort of goes back to probably 2017 when the dogs won the flag um, since then, all of the teams that have won at bar, well, even West Coast, arguably, with their very defined um, kick mark system in 2018, um, our flags and Richmond's flags have been won, and arguably um, by, uh, the Dogs, although I don't think that's quite the same sort of system, um, have been won by teams that have got a very clear, identified system. Um, and I have a sort of I had a theory that there's two types of coaches. There's type one is or three types. Type one is a very um, clear philosophy system and game plan. They believe is the model that will bring them ultimate success or their team ultimate success. They they have complete belief in that model and back it to beat any opponent once um, you know it's fully implemented. So you get 100% buy-in and all of that. They essentially have one game plan, plan A, and they drill that plan into their team and demand adherence to the rule that that plan demands for it to work. They're often regarded as stubborn and unwilling to change game game plans when losing. The players have to conform to that game plan. The coach doesn't shape the game plan around the strengths of the players. 
Um, whilst those coaches might have specific strategies and tactics for each game to negate an, op- an opposition's strengths and exploit the weaknesses, um, these are really just tweaks around the edges, so strategies in-game to, to maximise your chance of winning. Um, the game plan essentially remains the same every game regardless of opponent. Um, they're confident if their team executes their game plan and brings the required intensity, they'll beat any opponent even when losing. Um, in-season adjustments to the game plan, example, shifting a zone or handballing forward from stoppages happen but the fundamentals don't really change. Um, and in-game, they make few tactical changes. Like tweaks, yep, but no big changes. Um, and that type one, the sort of, the the, the, the goody is the classic type one. Um, type two, they've got a clear philosophy about the game and how it should be played to bring ultimate success. They've got a system and game plan, but it's more fluid, particularly from season to season and less didactic than the type one. They ha- don't really only have the one game plan as well, but a number of variations on that game plan, so, so to speak. Um, they put a lot of, these sort of coaches put a lot of focus on specific strategies and tactics for each game to negate an opposition's strengths and exploit their weaknesses. And they're more than just the tweaks around the edges that I was referring to in the type one goody style coach. Uh, the game plan does not really remain the same every game. It shifts a little bit depending on their opponent. Um, and planning for your opponent is a key element of their philosophy. Uh, in-season adjustments to the game plan, example, shifting the zone or handballing forward from stoppages happen often, but the non-negotiable such as work effort, buy-in, commitment to the contest, commitment to pressure, that, that that's a given every, and they, they don't change. So that's similar to um, the sort of type one coach like Woody. In-game, they make as many tactical changes that they think are necessary to maximise their team's chances of winning and do so a lot. They do that really proactively. Um, And they're more likely to shape the game plan around the strengths of the players. Um, And for me, the best example of that in the modern footy is Scott. And you can see already this year, he has tinkered with, they of course have a system, um, but he plays differently week to week. And already two weeks ago, he did that. So um, two weeks back, he completely changed his game plan. Like they've been going for a strategy of getting territory out of nowhere, really. Um, so who was the game two weeks ago? This lost to the... Um, they, he employed a completely different um, methodology, um, which basically was going back to their um, their previous style from last year, which was all about hold and control and, and keep the ball. Um, and, it, and it seems to me that sort of goodies approach, that system approach and complete adherence into the um, into the system as opposed to the tactical um, aspect of it is it, it's really the results speak for themselves. Um, and I think it's sort of a huge factor in football now that is going to determine the, the next, you know, for a long time, the teams who have that system are going to win the flag. And the problem for any team building one, so there's multiple systems at the moment, all got similarities. So the really good example is what uh, Ratton's doing at the Saints. They've now got a, a much clearer identified system. Um, I think it's built on fitness and they're, they're defensively much stronger, but they push up from the halfback flank. So a bit what they were doing already. Um, so uh, Frio, as we've talked about, has got a very similar system to Melbourne, but they switch a lot more often than Melbourne. Like we don't switch at all basically they use the corridor a lot more often than melbourne so um there's tweaks but still scott is using um his players the way he wants to negate um, but i just don't think any team without a system is going to win a flag in the next um five or six years and in other elite sports soccer is the obvious one um and there's this big debate in soccer about systems versus flair and systems will always win out um but in soccer 
a minnow can beat a big club because you can get a moment of brilliance that can win a match. Whereas over 120 minutes of footy, that's just not going to happen anymore. And that was really came home to me in this game against West Coast. It's just simply, it's no longer possible for a team to win on grit um, and just come out and win and overcome the system, assuming that everyone does their role in the system. I was really interested. I, I backed, well, I was very keen um, on the Suns beating Frio because Frio's, now trying this new system that they have to buy in every week, which we're doing. So it takes years to build it, which means that the chasing packs are a long way behind us. And the other world sport that's interesting, George, and I wanted to ask you about this is systems in basketball. Now systems have been in basketball for a long time and and it's no coincidence that Melbourne reference, if you listen to them, they reference San San Antonio Spurs a lot. Um, Partly that's because of Pop's, system um, but partly it's because that system relied relied on um, on buy-in and, and everyone playing their role and the no superstar sort of motto that they've got but the difference in basketball is you can do what the Lakers did you can buy in five six super ta- the best players in a league and you can you don't really need you can just you know you don't, you can play it you can't do that in footy with 22 players and medi sub you just simply can't so the two things that I was thinking about, one is no team is going to win without a very clear system. Two, it takes a long time to build that system. Um, so years, it's taken goody years and, and, and Ruse set the foundation for some of it. Um, and three, it's a really unique thing about Australian rules footy, I think, because all other sports have systems, as I said, but no other sport has 22 players on or 18 players on the field and four on the bench. Um, and so, you know, it's a system that's incredibly complex just because there's so many um, bits to the puzzle. Um, so, yeah, just I, I think it'll come more and more. You hear it. It's a bit of a trope. Um, you hear it all the time in the media about systems. But I think it's now time for the commentators to move beyond just noting Richmond system and Melbourne system and the conversation to begin about, well, has is that model of having systems it now for footy? Has it evolved to its sort of end point and now the change will be to the system? Someone will come along and find a way to beat Melbourne, but only if they've got a system that beats our system. Um, and, of course, we've got incredible players and all of those those elements as well. So you need combination of a good system and really good players. Um, but, yeah, I just think it's a really interesting point in the, in the evolution of footy. Um, so I'll be really interested to see what that next system is that will be thrown up to beat the D's. And, and I can guarantee you it won't be Scott's system. <laughs> it was interesting. Did you <clears throat> did you uh, see AFL 360 this week where David King did um, some research about the rebuild of Melbourne and Brisbane compared to what was going on, you know, at North where he's got an interest? But basically he was saying the Melbourne and Brisbane rebuilds to have taken eight to nine to, even 10 years to get to where we are at the moment. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's, which is, throws up an interesting point, George, doesn't it? Because how does that fly with equalisation? I mean, I think that, that conversation was in the context of what North Melbourne will have to do, wasn't it? Yeah, um, that's correct, yeah. So if Noble doesn't get his system in place now, then, you know, then they're in trouble. It's the same thing that happened with Bolton. Bolton had a system and it wasn't working, but how do you turn that course around? And that's the issue is that, you know, you know, the talk about Clarko coming back like the Messiah. Sure, but he has to come back with a system that works in modern footy. I mean, he, you can't coach by by um, flair and your own stint of your own sort of aura. You know, that doesn't work anymore. And, um, I mean, he had he's a, of those two types that I talked about, type one, type two. He's probably, for me, and Scott, him and Scott, Clarko are the two sort of, 
perfect examples of that type too, who had strategies and systems, of course, but on the on the day would try things to upset the opposition. I, I think that type of coach is is really not going to flourish in footy anymore. It's a lot of food for thought. <laughs> Very interesting discussion there. Um, George, anything you want to add to that? Uh, no, no, that was that was more was than good. enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, um, the, I think the good thing to take away from that is is, is that um, the systems based approach is is definitely proven. I mean, like, as Ben Mantia said, you've got to look at the last premiers over the last five or six years to to realise that is definitely the case. Um, it's not an individual effort like it used to be in the past, where you get a couple of brilliant players together and off, let them run, they'll win you a premiership. So, um, But the good thing for Melbourne supporters and the people listening to this, no doubt, is we've got these systems in place. They take a long time to build. And so um, the, the chances that we're going to get challenged by anything other than probably, you know, at the moment, a Brisbane or a Fremantle um, is not realistic. Um, the, the teams just don't have those systems in place that we've taken five and six years to put together. And it's no guarantee either that it's going to be like the, our system is going to be the one that's going to be dominant. So that's what I find interesting because someone will have to come up with a new system. It's not just a new bunch of strategies bolted together to beat Melbourne. You need a new system. And using, uh, George, the example of, again, of the, the Spurs is that there was a period there that everyone was just in raptures about their system as if it was some magic sort of bullet because they were so successful for like a 12-year period or a 10-year period. But they haven't won diddly squat for the last five or six years. So the, the pop system's got its limitations, obviously, and a new system has to be developed. All right, let's um, move on. Each week we all take a positive and an improvement from the week. And this week my positive is last year's uh, grand final sub in James Jordan. I was very impressed with the development and improvements that James had had made to his game last season. He was a starting player for most of the premiership year and it wasn't until late in the season that Tommy Sparrow took his place, forcing uh, James to the role of the sub. And we all felt for James when he was the sub uh, in the grand final and they understandably were unable to get him out onto field. So this season, it's been really, really satisfying to witness James take the opportunity of Christian Salem's absence, which has forced Gus into defence and therefore given Jordan the chance to make the other wing his own. And for the second time this year, I reckon that Jordan played his best game for the club. Uh, this time, uh, the last time it was against uh, the Power. And similarly, uh, this week, he's also racked up 27 possessions. In the past, we haven't had much success in trying to turn a mid into a winger. But I think we've succeeded at that in the last two goes that we've had. Uh, we talked last week about what happens to, to Gus when Salem returns. But I think we have another conundrum on our hands when Salo inevitably returns soon. Uh, and that is what happens to Jordan, particularly if Gus moves back onto the wing. Uh, because James has been very strong uh, there and it's a good problem to have. I don't envy the selectors and I feel for whoever has to make way from the team. So uh, James Jordan, guys, what do we what do? We do? Um, do you reckon Gus will find another position in defence or is Gus going to move back to back to the wing? Where, what happens to Jordan? I don't, I don't think anything's <laughs> going to happen to Jordan, quite frankly. He's, he's well and truly yeah. ensconced in the side. But I think this is the beauty... When we, when we look back at this season and look back at this in a couple of years' time, the development of these sort of players in different roles, all of a sudden we've got, 
you know, Angus Cut Brayshaw is the perfect example. Started out as a mid, moved to a wing. Now he's down in defence. He can cover all three roles. And I think what we're seeing is uh, James Jordan doing the same sort of thing. Initially thought to be a midfielder. They, again, they moved him down the wing. In this game, you seem to be playing off that half-back flank role a lot, getting lots and lots of possessions. It's fantastic, the development of these players in the side. And um, he's just another string to the bow and another problem for opposition to try and counter because if one of the soldiers goes down, we've got another one to replace him straight away. So exactly. but, uh, he, he played definitely his best game that I've seen um, for him, for the club uh, in this one. It was fabulous to watch. And he's speaking of systems, uh, like I can see why Goody loves him because if you think back last year, the different roles he played, he played inside mid when Viney went out of the team. He slotted back to that sort of quasi halfback role wing that, well, halfback wing, played halfback, similar role to what um, Gus played last season. Uh, and this season he's been playing wing, which is, you know, it's been discussed that that's a tricky position to, to work out how to play. He seems to be able to plug and play um, everywhere and not not all players have got that ability to you know presumably a whole lot of direction comes from the coach about what they want him to do um, he just seems to have the ability he must be super coachable um, so you know he's perfect for a system because you know he could go to the half forward flank and do a job probably he could definitely go back to the half back flank he could you know he can go into the middle um, he's yeah I think he's just going to be a terrific player he's already he's going to be long-term player for the D's that we're all going to love watching and perhaps always destined to be a bit underrated I reckon the other the other beauty about these type of players is while they can play in multiple roles they also have a synergy with the other players playing in similar roles so when you're playing wing, you know what the midfields are going to do because of you, you've learnt the role there as well. When you're playing off the half-back flank, you know what the wingers are going to do or what the wingers need. So it fits into a system beautifully, not just a plug-and-play role. It's about the understanding and, the like I said, the synergy with the other players in the side. Yeah, that's a good point. So it's less about the players' attributes themselves, more about the position the you know the characteristics Goody wants from that positional player like our higher forwards like Cozzy and Nibbler and Spargo it's what they're expected to do not what they necessarily bring. Uh, George, uh, you uh, wanted to talk about the team pacing itself for a long season. Yeah, I really struggled to find <laughs> more positives that we haven't discussed. You know, it's, again, this you know, win number sixteen and. In a row, nine this season, it's pretty hard to to find anything um, other than what we've talked about. We've talked about Petrarca's and Oliver's, and we've done that every week. Um, this week, you know, everybody wanted to win by 100 points, but once again, just go back to what Goody said. This is a long, hard season. Um, you don't... We have a philosophy of not resting players, but just as equally, I think this was a game in which... Um, while West Coast presented certain challenges to us, I thought the players as a whole and the team as a whole were able to pace themselves just that little bit um, during the game. Some of the stats were slightly down. I don't. It's diff- difficult to judge that because we were watching it on television. But you know, when Petrarca and Oliver don't get thirty possessions, you start to wonder, <laughs> wonder what's going on. Um, but even so, they put in more than enough to do the job. You know, the fact that we won by seventy-four points is more than enough. Um, but around the board, it seemed to across the whole board, it seemed to be sort of similar. Lever and May weren't getting, and Petty weren't getting as many intercepts. Perhaps they weren't called upon to do as much. But the whole team um, just seemed to be 
not operating perhaps at 100% and probably but probably playing 90% just pacing themselves but that's the side of a good professional side that you don't need to go out and bust your guts and win the game by 120 points as everybody would have liked but the fact is they they won it won it sufficiently well they did it sufficiently well kept their systems in place um they utilised the maximum number of interchanges to give everybody a, a proper rest, um, and I think we'll be doing something similar again this week um, as, as we lead uh, head toward the middle of the season. George, um, have you been tracking this year the time on ground? I wonder whether um, they're I, I, giving some of our guns a bit more of a chop out this year at this than they would have at this time last year. I, I haven't looked against last year. Um, <clears throat> It was just only slight differences from last week, for example. Um, uh, I think Max got more of a chop out in the ruck. That was certainly the case. But even Oliver was slightly down. I think he was about 78% time on ground or something like that. Uh, Normally he's a little bit higher than that. Petrarca, similar sort of things. Just marginally. But when you talk about five minutes here or five minutes there, it's um, in a game that you've still won by 75, 74 points. it just it just takes a, a little bit of pressure off off the legs that that um, isn't is nece- necessary in uh, at round nine in the season. Long way to go, so I, I haven't got any you know deep research into that. And that, like I said, there didn't seem to be a dramatic drop off from what was done last week, um, but there was some sort of uh, sort of evenness of time on the ground across the whole side. Uh, the the levers and the Mays and the Langdons, of course, played high 90s or 100s in some cases. That's not unusual. Um, but it just seemed to be a much more even spread across the whole ground where players were playing 75% as a general rule. And thinking to your comments last week about, you know, the, our ability to score in bursts of goals, is I wonder whether a bit of the man management on the field is, you know, for, for instance, not always having your A-grade um, team in the midfield and so giving, um, whether they're resting up forward or off the ground, um, you know, giving your, your players like Harms more minutes in the in the middle or, or maybe the nibbler a bit. And, um, you know, the obvious one is using Jackson more as in the ruck and giving Max a chop out. Um, you know, they've got that up their sleeve a little bit, haven't they, in terms of how they use their players on field and, and save a few of those petrol tickets. Yeah, it's all, it's all about management in the end. Uh, Big man, uh, you wanted to talk about goals uh, that highlight our method and approach and also Cosy? Yeah, just with the goals, like the one I mentioned um, for TMAC, if you, I watched all of the goals after I'd done the thinking about the system stuff. And if you go back, it's, you know, it's like four minutes or whatever, and watch our goals, um, is that so many of them are actually relate to how we go about our, you know, our method, the way we play the game. Um, you know, the even Cozzy's goal that just was just terrific. You know, he, the goal where he snagged it um, between, like he, he sharked a handball that came after a classic system of us forcing, kicking to the pocket. From memory, I think it was um, a booming left foot from um, uh, Gus into the pocket where, you know, last year people go, why are we always kicking to the pockets? You know, but now everyone accepts, well, that's our system. That's the percentage play. Not always. Um, but the, um, you know, that goal uh, came from a stoppage that was created from a kick to the pocket. We won the contest. So, like, if you look at all of the goals, I guess, there are very few that weren't 
part of a system. The goal that we got, um, Brown's first goal, where, uh, you know, the, the way we set the ball up and moved it off the wing, there was a number of the goals. So I just think that it's just really interesting to look at the goals through that. And so many of our goals, as I say, were method um, related. And just the other one was Cozzy. I just think he's now had two great games, you know, of course, you know, without contradicting myself. You know, he goes a lot of unrewarded um, running, I think, uh, a lot of unrewarded effort, I should say. Um, and Goody's clear about the importance that their KPI is not goals. It's about role. So it's not even possession. He made that very clear about Langdon, you know, last week is, uh, or two weeks back. Um, but it's great to see him kick that sort of goal. And he's just a unique, he's just a unique footballer and he's so, such a clever player if you watch him he's involved so was nibbler the first three goals were brilliant because all three of them involved um nibbler and cozzy in the scoring chain so to have two of your high half forwards um in so involved um in in our first three scoring goals was fantastic and all all uh, three examples both nibbler and cozzy were really smart bits of footy play but if you watch them again those first three goals and watch what Cozzy does he's just he's he's just got some sort of skill that I can you know he's one of the best most skilled players that I can ever recall playing for the D's and that's you know whether where that puts him in the you know his future I don't know but just on raw talent um not you know the the best example of it was his brilliant way that he jumped vertically and avoid getting smashed in a marking contest, dragged it to ground and created yet another goal. I, I don't know what his score assist Andy were his score involvements, but I'm guessing it was pretty high in this game. We had uh, uh, Cosi ten, Spargo nine, uh, Nibbler seven, and uh, score involvements. There you go, Cosi ten. What was it, Nibbler nine? Uh, no, Nibbler was seven. Uh, Spargo nine. Oh, really? I would have had them probably the other way around, but there you go. Do you think Ed Langdon was upset he didn't get that uh, that goal from Cozzy? <laughs> he looked at His body language looked a bit like it, didn't it? But <laughs> I, I want to hear see that. I mean, surely you don't expect him to give that one up. <laughs> no. No, let Cosby yeah. kick it into the fourth level of the stadium. That was fantastic. But poor old Ed sort of looked like, well, I've run all this way down here. Surely he can help me out a bit here. Oh, I'd love to see a close-up photo of his face because he looked he looked definitely a little bit sort of, I don't know. He wasn't thrilled, I don't think, that he didn't get the handball. I said last week, uh, I you know, the one thing I wanted to start seeing more of again like we saw last year from Cozzy, was hitting the scoreboard and he's done that two weeks in a row. So I'm wrapped. I mean, you know, we've spoken about how good he is defensively and uh, and that's continued, but I wanted to start seeing the goals ramp up again and it started again. So let's see more of that. It's beautiful. Um, let's go into uh, my improvement this week is uh, I've taken aim right at the match review panel or the MRP or even the actual MRO, the match review officer. We were told that the head was uh, sacrosanct and that any significant contact to the head would be punished. Anybody familiar with the MRP would know that uh, consistency from week to week or from incident to incident is not their strong suit. Uh, No-name players seem to get made an example of and Brownlow fancies walk free. This week we saw two incidents, a reckless, overzealous tackle by Cade Chandler and an off-the-ball head-high bump by Liam Ryan. Chandler has given been given two weeks, Ryan only the one. I'll make my contention here clear. If the head is sacrosanct and intent is irrelevant, 
then the issue isn't the Chandler decision, it is the Ryan decision. I don't believe that Chandler's intent was to harm, but the fact that the, the but the fact is the tackle had the potential to cause harm and it did cause that harm and it means I'll accept the two weeks in his case. But there is no argument in regards to the intent with the Ryan bump on Jake Bowie. Ryan's intent was to harm Bowie. Uh, it, was a, it, it wasn't an accidental contact in the act of going for the ball. He clearly and intentionally went past the ball and intentionally connected his shoulder with Jake's uh, head. If the head is sacrosanct, then it should not matter whether Jake Bowie gets up off the floor or if he's taken off on a stretcher with concussion. Uh, the match review panel is obviously more concerned with the outcomes rather than the actions uh, that they want to stamp out. And if Bowie is concussed, then Ryan then Ryan would have got weeks. He wasn't concussed, so Ryan only gets the one. And I bet you if Ryan was a Brownlow fancy, he probably would have got off. It seems that the head is only sacrosanct if you get a concussion. And if the MRP and the AFL want to stamp out head-high contact, then they need to get serious about head-high contact. Uh, am I being pedantic about this? And have I used up my quota of the word sacrosanct for this season? <laughs> sacrosanct bingo players out there. Are, uh, <laughs> about reeling, ten I don't think so. I, I just think it's outrageous. Like it makes no sense whatsoever. That That actually had the potential to be a really serious incident and I was amazed he, he kept playing because he didn't even get checked for concussion. It didn't seem like maybe they did later. But he easily could have had his um, um, uh, cheek fractured in that incident. Absolutely. And he was lucky he didn't. But also what made it worse was that he flipped his head back and almost hit, I think it was Hunt. And, mm. and so it really had a nasty, like it was just lucky. And so as you say, I mean, luck shouldn't really play a part on whether you get one week or two weeks. And the thing for me that it's really easy is that he went elected to go past the ball. And I reckon once you elect to go past the ball, you should just get full whack. So you should be getting, you know, the way they should structure it is get a week for the hit to the head. Electing to pass the ball and not take the ball gives you another two weeks on top because it wouldn't happen if you went for the footy. You know, it was, I couldn't agree more. And I think there's such a contradiction between what the AFL are doing and um, in that sort of incident. Chandler was a bit tough. I, I knew he was going to go. That was a pretty nasty incident, wasn't it? Well, that's the thing. Like, I know there's people that saying, oh, and I think we've got in the chat room, um, uh, what are they saying in the chat room? Uh, MRO needs to outline exactly how players are meant to tackle. And uh, when I say that, I mean step-by-step step exact criteria so that if a player performed this tackle 20 times, there'd be no chance they'd get rubbed out for any of them. And that was from Lazy in the chat room. Look, I think what Chandler did, the, look, I don't think he intended to hurt the guy. I mean, he was a bit overzealous in the tackle and it did pin his arm and get his head maybe. I'm, I'm not really sort of arguing that. Um, do I think that uh, uh, Cripps in a Brownlow favourite year, would he go for that? Maybe not. They'd probably find a way to get him. But the no-name player, he, he gets done. So, uh, look... I'll take the two weeks, but uh, my my thing is really with consistency, and I, I reckon a Crips wouldn't get it. I probably a Petrarca wouldn't get it. Um, so, so what what would have he got if I don't get the grading? Like if he'd been concussed, he definitely would have got two weeks, wouldn't he? I think so. <laughs> they love so the outcomes. Which, if which you're going to hit someone, you just hit Oliver in the head because 
he seems to be unknockable out. <laughs> you can't knock the fella out. So, um, and as I say, just luck shouldn't play a part. He just he could have easily been flushed on the temple and he was gone. Um, then I thought he was definitely gone anyway. So um, you're spot on the money. Um, sacrosanct. It's either sacrosanct or it's not. So yeah. you know the fact, as I say, that he went past the ball to me it gives away all sort of um, leniency there. And and they really do have to change the focus if they want to do, to remove this from the game. It's not about the outcomes. I mean mm. Chandler would Chandler would have got a push in the back if the guy, and that would have been the limit of it if the guy hadn't been concussed. Yeah, so, if he hadn't been concussed, I don't think he would have gone to the MRO. Uh, exactly. They have brought in the rule change, I think, in terms of um, potential to do harm. Yeah, but that's where that was. But even applying that logic well, that's, to the Bowie incident, exactly, he, he right. misses next week because he's concussed. That's just he's lucky he didn't have a broken jaw. That's eight weeks, ten weeks more. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. out yeah, of the it, game. It's frustrating, like you said, with the messages coming from the AFL hierarchy compared to what the reality is of the way the, these incidents are being assessed is, is chalk and cheese at the moment. And um, uh, <clears throat> they'll have further issues around this unless they do something seriously about addressing exactly that problem. On, on a pretty unrelated note, but it's, it was I found it frustrating anyway, is that the, the thing with Parker in Sydney and these stupid bloody... Um, sort of, I don't know what he was doing to wind up Dylan Shields, is the focus after that was all on the fact, the comments by Lloyd, that um, that he should have, Shields should have lined up Parker at the very next centre bounce and cleaned him up. And I, I can't, I didn't hear one commentator or footy person push back against that narrative. In fact, quite the opposite. Even Waitler, who's been banging on about this topic, about the sacrosanct, there you go, bingo players, <laughs> of, uh, of the head, even he on, on SEN with David King said I'd come round to the view of that, that he should have lined him up. I mean, it's just pathetic. If he, like, There's no way Melbourne would have done that. Like, they, in fact, King said there's no way Petrarca would have allowed that to happen. He would have lined him up. No way. Oh, not a, a chance. Discipline. They won the ball out of the centre. They hadn't, they hadn't won a thing out of the centre, and they finally did. But I, I couldn't believe how, how – and, again, it's the problem with having so many ex-footballers talking about footy um, in, the, in the media – is basically they were condoning Lloyd's comment that to take him out. I mean, that's what happened back in two thousand in the nineties. I was going to say, look at look at the grand final. What some of Lloyd's teammates did. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he was a sniper. Lloyd was a sniper. You know, so it just doesn't have a place in it taking someone out deliberately because what you know the guy teased him. I mean, that's I would be I'd be ropeable if Petrarca got reported because he couldn't cop a bit of teasing from Parker. It, you know, Parker looked like a dill. I thought. Um, George, uh, you wanted to talk about uh, Hunt, uh, but last week Bim Man was praising Hunt, claiming we've found a man to take the small, quick forwards in a more defensive role, and this week you've got him down for an improvement. Can you please explain? Uh, I'm going to have difficulty with, with this as well because I, I was effusive about him as, as well last week. The, diff- the difficulty I have is um, watching the game on the television, so I don't know the whole story. You can't see what... Mm. What what's going on? It was just just from a few um, a few individual plays where uh, once again he, he's running up the ground with the ball, and I just know what's happening behind him is that defense the defenders are going. We're trying to plug the holes here. Um, you've got to start playing as a defender, not an attacker. Um, 
the forwards don't know where he's going with the ball until he actually kicks it. So um, <clears throat> it's just it's just difficult to judge. Um, he certainly wasn't on his game uh, this week like he was previous week. I'm not sure who he was actually on. Some have suggested he might have been on Ryan, but I saw uh, Rivers on Ryan for a fair fair amount of the game as well. Um, he's, he's just got to be careful that in his new role that he's found, he maintains that defender's uh, mentality about the way he approaches the game. Um, there's a bloke named Salem and a bloke named Hibbard potentially coming back into that lineup, and you've got to, as as we all know now, you've got to be able to play your roles all the time, not just an individual performance or something looks flashy. And I know the fans love watching him run up the up the wing and things like that, but a far better outcome for him is to kick the ball to someone like. Uh, Ed Langdon and let him do the running up the wing like uh, Bowie does on the other side of the ground. You don't see Bowie running up towards the forward line. You see him delivering the ball um, to those who who use it better, but it also maintains the structures behind the ball. Um, So, like I said, difficult to see on television, but that's the only negative I could find, really. Pretty tough negative, I reckon. He definitely was on Ryan for almost all of the game. Of course, there's times when they swap off each other and zone off and pick up. Ryan didn't kick a goal, only had five possessions, was basically the only thing he did in that game of any note was that hit on Bowie. Um, Completely shut. Ryan's probably arguably their most singularly most talented footballer. Completely took him out of the game, and he's the sort of player that, you know, does... Warriors is the sort of small, nimble forward. Doesn't look super fit, to be honest. No, <laughs> Another no. player who doesn't look fit at that club. But, but yeah. he kicked three out of their four goals last week, I think. Yeah. So he's, he can even, buy, you know, he's still, he basically spends all his time in the forward um, 50 mm. um, and he can get goals just on his ability. And um, Hunt didn't give him a snifter. So, yeah, pretty, pretty tough improvements. <laughs> but. Um, B-Man, uh, you wanted to talk about first quarters and uh, uh, B-Man, as we were noting earlier today, you've uh, tried to sneak in another positive under the guise of an improvement. Um, what's well, this all about? Uh, well, you know, that's, yeah, it is being a bit um, yeah cheeky on the improvements, but just like George, I was struggling to find <laughs> one. Um, and if you remember back this time, yeah, I actually went back and had a look. So it's funny how the mind works. So if you'd asked me how many first quarters did we win in our first nine games, um, I would have guessed oh, only a couple, but it was actually 5-4. So we lost five first quarters last year and won the four, um, but we won two of the first three. So we were going all right, but it was um, five um, lost quarters to four in that in uh, the first nine games, and we've only lost the one so far. So a huge improvement. Which um, one? And, which, sorry, which one did we lose this year? The Hawks, the Hawks, Hawks game, yeah. and by just a point or whatever. Yeah. So I, it was really just a sort of reflection of thinking. Well, they've come in. They, that would have been a clear focus of them because in the second half of the season they they didn't lose any. Basically, I think in that. I think I remember hearing that in our 16 against Hawks, that was the first time we'd lost a first quarter in any of those wins that we'd had. So of the 16 wins we've put together, we've won the first quarter 15 times. Um, And I just thought it was a really interesting, um, you know, improvement for a club who won the premiership is clearly the best team in the AFL 
always as good as talking about is looking for ways to improve. Our first quarters was one area compared to this time last year that we could definitely improve. 5-4 is, is um, unusual probably in, in winning that many games to be behind on that sort of ledger. So that is really impressive that they've done that. Um, but I'll thank Star in the 80s for giving me a proper improvement because it is one that I actually thought about and it had completely um, escaped my mind, which I'll blame COVID on is tracks kicking for goal. It's a Ooh, bloody yes. nightmare, isn't it? <laughs> so um, Star in the 80s in the chat room, I'm all on board. And um, it really, in some respects, you know, the fact that we're travelling so well, if we weren't, we'd be super frustrated with him because I don't, I don't expect him to kick any goals from set shots anymore. It's got worse. It's got progressively worse. And it will come back, at, at, you know, it'll haunt us at some stage. We'll lose a match because he's missed a set shot. Um, I don't know whether it's psychological or he's lost his technique or, but I so much prefer him. That goal that he kicked when he, he had the on handball the receive on the run from Nibbler, I'd take him. If I, he was kicking in for my life, I'd say play on please track. <laughs> Don't take a set shot. Um, it, it's a real problem. And it's funny because, you know, it probably takes him almost right to the very top if he starts nailing his set shots, doesn't it? It was two goals, four. He could have had easily five goals. <laughs> Yeah, so now it's probably it's a good thing where we're at. The two best players in the AFL, or three best, are all at Melbourne. And maybe he would be number one of those three if um, he kicks today. Um, the uh, Well, I can give you a free another free um, uh, uh, improvement, and that's the, the commentators. I, I thought one of the comments by uh, Kelly Underwood, and I know that a lot of the hate receives online is is usually from misogynist but uh, she said an absolute uh, she made a real doozy by saying that um, uh, Luke Jackson was uh, auditioning for West Coast <laughs> <laughs> I think West Coast were auditioning for him and they failed <laughs> well I had to th- I had to laugh over that comment it's like you know, in a in a game against a team that's tanking in round nine against the Premiers, it's not really much of an audition. What he, he thrashes them and does super well against that team. It's like, yeah, yeah, that was kind of weird. And surely he'd go to Frio, wouldn't he? Anyway, not West Coast. Although. You would think so, but there's the you know we need to be compensated. I don't know what's what's Frio got. Yeah, and uh, Kelly Underwood's desire to, to get alliteration into everything, the pick a pocket in the oh, picket. <laughs> yeah, she must have. She must have a because she does it all the time. Uh, if you watch any enough footy, she must have a whole a list of things to say for each particular player because uh, she must practice it because she rolls them off every yeah. time. It's a bit annoying. Um, let's move on. Uh, Casey, uh, the Casey Demons went on a rampage as they took on the hapless Kangaroos at Arden Street on Sunday. This is the second time in consecutive seasons that Casey has inflicted a 100-point defeat on the Roos, despite Casey only having 13 AFL-listed players. Rookie Jacob Van Royen and Sam Wiedemann both kicked six goals too. Bailey Lorries kicked four goals and Luke Dunstan has had 31 disposals and kicked three goals himself. Be man, you were at the game, and George, you watched it online. So both of you witnessed this morning. Uh, was there anything these fans can take out of such a drubbing? Be man, you were the man on the spot, so I'll go to you first. Yeah, I, I won. It was a bit like the West Coast game. I really, really enjoyed going to the game, um, and 
it, it brought back a lot of memories going to Arden Street. The ground was in magnificent condition. Just to, you wouldn't believe um, uh, how good the the deck was. It, maybe you couldn't you couldn't see on the television, although all the trees around the ground could. It was howling. Um, but we had one of those situations though. It was completely open. It would have been going 40, 50 knots in the third quarter, then it eased right off in the last quarter. So if it looked on television like we were kicking super strongly into, into the wind, it dropped, I reckon it dropped by half in that last quarter. So you got to like it when the wind follows you a little bit or at least drops. Um, I thought there were some real positives. Dunstan was starred. Um, a negative is that I went at the game, I, I moved from end to end and I really watched uh, Van Ruin and Weed closely. Um, and but at the end, I was standing on just behind the um, on the uh, where the bench was, and he had his calf iced up, and he was in. Oh, so, really? Uh, yeah, um, I'm not sure if he's listed in the injuries, but he definitely so. had it iced up, and he was off the ground for the last ten minutes. But he was he was terrific. Um, I thought um, Weed was really good. His contest was fantastic, um, and it was interesting watching live and and close because I was on the on the boundary for most of it. I've got a theory with Weed is often I've thought he's not strong enough in the one-to-one contests um, where he gets pushed under the ball a bit and Van Ruin was the opposite. Um, but I reckon it's he, he kicked a fantastic goal out of the ruck where it was all strength. Um, and I wonder whether partly it is that he just misjudge, he misjudges slightly the drop of the ball in those one-on-one contests because he took a fantastic pack mark on the lead. He just seems to be so much more comfortable leading out at the footy. Uh, and it was, a, it was a fantastic mark and he went back and kicked it. But a few times where the ball was coming in one-on-one and it was one of those situations where he's wrestling, the North defender read it a little bit better. And so it seemed like he was not strong enough to hold his position, but it was more that he wasn't reading it as well. Um, and Van Ruin was the opposite. But I thought Weed had a really good game. Um, and up close, he was really vocal, really um, supportive of his teammates. He was really, him and Van Ruin were together a lot. Um, and, you know, he, his contest was good. His kicking for goal was good. Best game I've seen Weed play at any level for a long time, I thought. Um, Van Ruin looks a complete star. I just love the way he goes about it. I've said enough but, uh, about him previously, but to be there live and watch him, he's a kid who's just, he just wants the footy and he was really intense. Again, though, he didn't shade Weed in that too badly. Weed's intensity was, was really good. Um, Bedford was all class, looks a cut above. I'd be surprised if Harms is injured. Um, he doesn't come back in. The one query question mark I had, to be honest, was I didn't think Tomlinson's body language was fantastic. Um, I mean, he didn't have much work to do. The ball was up AON for a big part of the game. But, um, you know, you go, you get to get you close, you hear what they're saying. You could go into the huddle at quarter time and three quarter time. And maybe I'm being a bit tough and it's a tough gig to go back to the, to the VFL level. But unlike Weed, whose body language and voice and was super positive, and same with Dunstan. Dunstan's attitude, uh, and Bedford for that matter, it was all, you know, it, it made it even more notable how quiet Tomlinson was and how he made a couple of bad mistakes too. He got run down tackle and it was a bit of a situation. I don't know if you recall that one, George, but he got run down. And to be honest, I was like, what are you doing? Kick the ball. He, yeah. he took way too long to get rid of it. And it was a bit like disrespecting his opponents. It felt like maybe I'm reading a bit too much into it, um, but I did note it, notice and I love um, KC from KC's write-ups of the games, of the VFL games. Um, he wasn't in the best, which I thought was was interesting um, and sort of, I guess, um, it 
lined up with what my thoughts were about it. But yeah, it was just a, a slight question mark. Maybe I'm being a bit tough. The other query I had is, I don't know where Melksham was. Was he? Did he go to Perth? He went to Perth. Right, okay. So yeah, I thought it was very, Majak Dawes, a cut above. He could play AFL footy. One thought I did have is White is a star and, and I was just reflecting, you know, there's some pretty good players playing at Casey who aren't VFL players and White, he, he played for Melbourne for a while, didn't he? Am I, yeah. I'm not making that up. <laughs> um, and Munro, lesser so. But White did something super classy at one point. I thought, well, you know, they've got to be pretty good to get to AFL level, you know, just to get a game at AFL level when you've got players like White who can't um, make an AFL career out of it, who's still driven to play footy. Um, he was terrific. White was fantastic. Playing midfield and forward, predominantly midfield, big, big-bodied midfield as well. The other interesting uh, thing I, I thought from that game was the two best players probably for the other side in Marty Hoare and Dom Tyson were ex-Melbourne players as well. There wasn't a, wasn't a great deal of talent other than that. Um, so, um, but yeah, really impressed with um, with Dor. He was completely dominant in the ruck. And like you said, um, if, if he's the, the break glass in event of, um, he, he will fit in very, very easily. Um, into the um, into the senior side, should he be called upon? Um, it was difficult to judge in a game where there was forty-seven scoring shots to seventeen and hitouts were seventy-one to nineteen. It's just <laughs> just just incredible. So that tells you the the dominance that Dor had in the game. Um, yeah, Jacob Van Royen, we've talked about. Um, it's only his eighth game for the club and he is seriously showing the talent that he's got. He's got to show it for a little bit longer, but at the end of the day, six goals too. Um, you can't expect too much more of a 19-year-old kid. He's got some moves which um, I think are going to excite us a lot uh, in the game. <clears throat> the one laugh I had in the game was, and it's on the replays if you choose to have a look at it, it's on the AFL site, it was, it was in the third quarter about seven minutes in. Um, Toby Bedford was in a marking contest on the wing and um, the the other uh, opponent stood on his foot. So he was called to stand, but he couldn't stand. Yeah. So he's bouncing around on one leg and got a 50-metre penalty paid against him yeah. because he didn't stand. <laughs> the poor bloke can't take a trick anywhere sort of thing. But he, like, like Ben Man said, he was a class above in terms of, of uh, his work around the ground. Him and Dunstan, Dunstan was fantastic. 31 disposals, 22 to half time, and uh, three goals um, to half time. But Bailey Laurie as well, four goals in the second half. You know, it just shows you the the, um, the the gulf of difference between the two sides. But we've got a couple of players in this side <coughs> who, sadly, and I've alluded to this before, I'd, I just don't know how they're going to get into the senior side the way, with with the roles that they're playing. You know, um, how do you get Bailey Laurie into the mids in the in the senior side? Pretty hard to see. Um, so. He's got time on his side, I guess, a little bit. But yeah, I mean, yeah. Rosman played all right too. Not that he, like, yeah. and he's an interesting one in playing him as that sort of tall defender. Um, it was co- good to see Marty Hoare and um, uh, playing. It was a surprise. I'd forgotten that he was playing for the Roos. So I thought yeah. I recognised that. But he was on uh, weed for most of a big part of the game. Mm. Um, if you want to see, there's on Demonland. There's a. a Someone who posts uh, YouTube clips or a YouTube channel, I think that's what you call it, is uh, the Mighty Demons. And they've yeah. got some of the highlights on one of the threads of Van Ruin's all six goals or his highlights of the game. 
Um, so if you want to check them out, it's like, uh, you know, he, it's really exciting, but it's also got Weed's goal up there. And um, yeah, as I said, I thought Weed, that's the best game I've seen him play and, um, you know, really, really liked his attitude. All right, some, uh, yeah, uh, just on the Tomlinson thing, yeah, it must be really frustrating for him uh, because he also seems to be a, a break glass type of thing yeah. at the moment. Uh, the back, the back's three main backs, that's pretty settled. I don't think that's changing unless there's dramatic form or, or injuries. And uh, whilst Joel Smith is injured, he is the next cap off the rank, but when Joel Smith comes back, he seems to be the preferred option. So he's probably too... Two cabs back. Yeah, and it goes a bit to the... It's not totally dissimilar to George's point about pacing, but it's like a challenge that we're going to face now is get keeping the sort of players like Laurie and Rosman and, and players like that. And But also, you know, if a player starts... You know, it, like if it's hard, like he's got a... He's actually, you know, he's going to come in for lever at the moment with Smith out or May or... So he's, he's pretty close to senior selection, mm-hmm. but... If he's not happy, you know, that like you're asking people to subsume themselves to the team if they can't get in, and not everyone's going to want to do that. There's um, Dunstan's interesting. I watched uh, yesterday as part of my isolation period. There's a documentary on um, Amazon about the, um, it's not worth watching, by the way, about the uh, trade period and uh, um, player managers. Um, but it's got a fair bit about Dunstan. And his yeah. decision to come to Melbourne, um, and he was close to going to Gold Coast. I believe Gold Coast. Yeah, he was very close to, uh, and they had the conversation here. Jude speak about him, and um, and he would have got time at Gold Coast. He would have got senior game time at Gold Coast, and he elected to come to the D's. So, you know, he knows what he was in for. Um, it was all about the pitch that Melbourne gave him. Um, was all about um, improving him as a player. Um, that's what Proust said as well about why he went to Melbourne. It was all about improving him as a player. Um, and I think, I forget who they were talking about. It was uh, Chera. They said that um, the whoever the player manager was said it was the best pitch they'd ever heard from a club ever, ever. Yeah, he wanted to cut. I think he was keen to come and we just couldn't do a deal because we, yeah, we had no currency. I didn't realise how close we mm. were, but apparently they were so impressed with everyone, Chera, the player manager, with our presentation. Goody, I think two of the senior players came along, track was mentioned, maybe someone else, Tim Lamb was there, um, and it was all about improvement. We can improve you as a player. Unfo- yeah, unfortunately, we just didn't have the currency. So, Well, fortunately, yeah, I mean, it would have... I take him. He's pretty. Yeah, he's, he's pretty. Good. <laughs> I mean, we imagine the conversation be having you. He he couldn't be. Inside. I really like Dunstan, um, but he, you know, at the moment he's got to play in the twos. I don't think you could have Chera playing in the twos. You'd have to yeah. have him in the two. But yeah, yeah, um, yeah that would be an interesting conversation. <laughs> Who goes out for him? But uh, anyway, uh, well, talking about Dunstan, we've got the ins and outs, uh, and with James Harm facing a stint on the sideline, I think the injury uh, said uh, injury report today said two to three weeks. He's got I the ha- yep hamstring injury. Uh, by the way, Dunstan wasn't on that on the list today. So, and and I don't think they would hide that. Um, and with Kate Chandler being forced out due to suspension. And we know Goody doesn't do much tinkering to a winning lineup. The only changes I can foresee, if Luke Dunstan isn't injured, is Dunstan coming in for, for Harms, Bedford coming in to replace Chandler, which most likely would have happened anyway, 
we posited last week that Chandler, uh, that Bedford would have the the week off at, at Casey so that he could play due to Casey not having a game this current week. So he would have replaced Chandler this week anyway, I would have think uh, would have thought. Uh, do you guys think we'll do anything different, uh, George? Um, I think it all, de- <clears throat> all depends on the nature of the injury or non-injury to Dunstan. If it's just a, a bruise <clears throat> um, and they've been ice- icing it for that reason, there was no no reason in that game to um, play out the game for him if he was slightly um, hurt. Um, so, yeah, Dunstan would be the logical uh, to come in. Bedford replaces Chandler uh, pretty easily. Um, I can't see anything else beyond that. If, um, Dunstan... if Dunstan is injured, then Bailey Laurie oh, yep. is... Is, is the possible to to put the hands up? So um, I, I I can't I can't see anyone but Bedford coming in. But just yeah, again, but it, it, you've got it, to go it, back to what Goody does. Yeah, Goody but he'll is, come in regardless because of Chandler. No, no, no. Forgetting the mini uh, stuff, uh, Chan- Chandler he, goes, he'll come into twenty two. Bedford yeah, yeah, will, yeah. will replace Harms. One, yeah. he, he can play high half forward. Is the position Harms is playing? He can play midfield. He was at Casey. He's probably be doing a 40-60 split midfield forward. Um, so he can take the minutes that Bedford, uh, sorry, that Harms would have taken in the middle. He's got the tank. He's got a similar tank to Harms. Um, and it, speaking of this documentary, it was clear what Dunstan was brought to the club for was as an inside mid. Um, Harms isn't an inside mid. I mean, he plays inside at times, but that's not really his role. So on two levels, I can't see anyone but Bedford coming straight in. I think Dunstan, actually, if he's fit, will be the Medi sub as a reward for his performance. Uh, Maybe Laurie, but Bedford, uh, uh, Dunstan would be the more. But just look at Goody's history. He's like, he always, the next cab off the rank for a senior team selection is Bedford. And yep. Bedford will get that slot, I reckon. Uh, who who did uh, Dunstan replace last time? Was that Viney when Viney was out? Viney, yeah. So there's and your then he inside me. In when Viney came back, but we had the COVID outs. That yes, was. yeah. So and, and Dunstan could come the in. The funny thing about that documentary was he was joking about playing. He's not a forward. The fellow, the player manager, said to him, "Well, you're not a forward." And he said, "Well, that's where St Kilda were playing." <laughs> And so he's not against the ruse. He was just a pure in and under midfielder um, the whole game. So, um, yeah, Bedford, both on that and just history, is that the Medi sub goes in. So I'd be really surprised if it's not Bedford. All right, that's uh, ins and outs. Let's, t- let's uh, turn our attention to our opposition. The Kangaroos uh, are travelling uh, just as well as the Eagles are at the moment. They've only won the one game this season, uh, incidentally, against the Eagles. Uh, this past week, they faced the power from Port in Tasmania and they lost by 69 points. George, you had the unenviable task this week of having to watch the Kangaroos twice in one week. Their seniors and their reserves lost by a combined uh, 179 points. What can we expect from last year's Wooden Spooners? Uh, this should be a, a short section since <laughs> there's, there's not going to be much opposition from what I saw. <clears throat> um, look, honestly, that, they're in serious serious troubles north melbourne they've they've got a very few players that are capable of you know i'll say it <laughs> of getting to a or being at afl standard um <clears throat> they're, they're playing uh draftees in their in their firsts um uh these are kids you know in the, who are um just drafted this year are out there they might get um horn francis and simpkin back this week but honestly um the game against Port was just awful. Um, 
Uh, Goldstein was probably one of their best players on the ground. Larky and Zerhar up forward are their only real targets, uh, and they were well held by um, the Port backline. Uh, Goldstein was up against uh, a fifth gamer, Ruck, who um, uh, got more hitouts than what he did during the game. Um, <clears throat> which was just incredible. Port eventually, where they wanted to give this, uh, was his name, Sam Hayes, a rest. They put Powell, Pepper, and Ollie Wines into the ruck. That shows you what sort of opposition uh, was there. And Goldstein was one of the better players for North on the on the uh, on the day. Um, <clears throat> Callum uh, Coleman Jones is North's second ruck, and he might as well have not not been there at all for the whole game. They they really don't have anything that's going to going to worry us in in any way shape or form. Um, there's like I said, just these few players uh, like the Larkies and the Zerhars, and uh, occasionally Zebel, who's well beyond it now, I think, um, to worry about. But the rest of their side is there's, they've got no structures. They haven't got the talent. Um, they're playing really young kids. Um, their supporters aren't turning up. I, I thought there were about two thousand people turned up for the game in Hobart. Uh, I think I heard the ground announcer say that there were five. The AFL um, conveniently didn't put the numbers up for the attendance at the game because it was so poor. Um, but why would you want to go and see a game like that in any case? And, um, so yeah, um, this 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 I'll make a prediction now. This will be worse um, the result for North as uh, compared to what the result against the Eagles could have been playing against the Premiership side in the competition. Yeah. Totally agree. I think West Coast have still got the spine of a premiership team, basically. They were, they had seven or eight players who played in that 2018 series, so they've got at least some talent to be able to draw on. And I reckon it's a big problem for the AFL because North, it's a bit like I was saying with the system, is that if you agree with my thesis about the systems, it's a five, six-year build, but it has to be on an upward trajectory. And if you get the foundation wrong, well, you've got to... If Noble was to leave and a new coach came in, well, that's where it starts again. The foundation has to be because the system has to be designed by the coach to a large extent. Um, Whereas, you know, it, it, it's really hard to work out what their system is for one thing. Um, but they're super thin on the ground for talent, aren't they? Like, mm. you know, that um, for some reason, rather his name escapes me every time. What's the number one draft pick? Uh, Jason Horn Francis. Is they're in the situation now that Gold Coast were a few years ago um, and maybe still are, although I've got a lot of time for where Gold Coast are at at the moment. I reckon they're a team on the up, but of where players didn't want to stay there. So they get number one draft pick, number two, and no one wants to be there. He, he, how long is he a player who's so competitive as him? How long is he going to want to stay at North? Well, he's already put contract talks on hold. Oh. So. So it's Gus for that matter. <laughs> yeah, but Gus, you know, whatever he's waiting yeah. for the thing, usually these number one draft picks re-sign pretty yeah. early into the year. Yeah, and you've got to sell both to the fans, to players, to you've got to sell a future. And, I mean, Melbourne, it's what, love him or hate him, that's what Ruse did is said, well, here's where we're heading. And PJ said, here's where we're heading. And have faith that we're going to get there. That was always Goody's message. And part of it is you've got to buy in to that faith and you know that's if you think back to goodies all of his discussion about melbourne fans will be able to go to the footy knowing what they're going to see you just don't get that with the ruse at the moment and i 100 percent think it will be worse than, well i don't know what worse means but they'll 
Late only scored 24 points against Frio two weeks back. Um, and um, I can see something similar happening. And, and, and harking back to what David King said that um, uh, in, in his analysis of North Melbourne, where they are, this is year one for North Melbourne. That's, yeah. That's, uh, yeah. They're looking at another eight to 10 years before they can expect the success. Jason Horn Francis is one pick. Um, you need to get multiple picks in, need, in yeah. and they haven't got any currency now to, they've given away the Ben Browns, they've, they've given away their Robbie Tarrants, you know, hoping to get something better and they, and they still haven't got anything. They've, um, they need multiple picks high up the draft and it's going to take eight to 10 years to achieve it. It's, um, yeah, it's a daunting prospect for them. When uh, you and I saw him, <coughs> excuse me, Andy, at um, uh, Casey in the practice game, they looked like kids playing against men and they had lots of lots of younger players playing. That's how they look now. They've got a kid playing for them who barely looks out of school shorts. Um, pretty high draft pick too. Um, so, yeah, the yeah, it's a, it's a long journey for them. And it's a shame, isn't it? Because I'm not got a lot of time for North. I saw them a lot as a kid. So it was funny going back to Arden Street and thinking about the days of them. You walk through, I walked through their, um, the, I don't know what, the, the, the sports centre there, which they've got all their trophies. So I had a look at them, the AFL trophy. And it was a flashback to the 70s when they, they were the team. Them and Hawthorne were the, the powerhouse of the footy. And they've got their economics apparently doing pretty well. They're, they're not doing too badly economically. St Kilda owe more money than the Roos. Mm. Um, yeah, but it's, you know, that's, no, that's nothing if you're not winning games of footy, I guess. Mm. Yeah, um, remarkably, uh, we're playing them at the Docklands uh, for only the eighth time ever. I mean, that just shows how many times we played them in Tasmania, um, considering what this 22 years yeah. the, the ground's been, been going for. Um, we've never beaten them at Docklands either, but it's important to note that the last time we did play them there was uh, 2014. And I and I can't go because I'm still in isolation. So, uh, you know, it's a real pity I'm going to miss the lives. <laughs> You'll probably be able to hear George and I uh, over, yeah. the, over on the telly. I don't think they'll get such a crowd there. It'll be tiny. Yeah, it's good. Very good of us to help their financial situation. <laughs> that it. That it is. Um, before we before we go tonight, I think it's important to note we had uh, a re-signing today. Uh, Charlie Spargo has re-signed until the end of 2025 and it's good to see we've locked another one away. He's been an important cog uh, in the wheel. We do, you know, we don't, uh, we don't talk much about Charlie week in, week out. Uh, gave him a bit of a mention when we talked about score involvements. But, uh, yeah, he is an important cog in the team. So um, happy to, to re-sign him. Um, very, very important. Like you just said, Andy, he is a cog in the wheel, but he is a very important cog. I always love it when the ball's in his hand mm-hmm. because I know that it's going to be delivered to a better someone in a better position uh, than himself. And they look for him, I, I, yeah. I, you can see. Um, yeah. Is that a cog in the machine or a cog in the wheel? wheel. <laughs> I don't know the terminology. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was out of Kelly Underwood's uh, book. <laughs> Got a bit confused. Uh, but yeah, no, that is a good signing, and there, there's two more that we really need to do. But uh, I would say that both of them are waiting for later in the year. Um, I can't see Gus going. No. Like for what? You know, he's well, got his whole life to live in Perth with his brother. Yeah, 
His family's here. His brother can. Well, let's try and get his brother. Brother, to, yeah, do we have yeah, room? Right. Have room for his Melbourne, brother. That might solve the problem. <laughs> can we fit him, uh, Brayshaw, Chera, and other Brayshaw uh, in? Um, all right, uh, guys. I, th- I think we'll end uh, the show there. Thank you, George. Thank you, Beer Man, and thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week to do it all again. And uh, go demons. Go red legs. Come on.